everyone, it's Sandy Cruz from Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. And I'm here to show you that balanced living works. This is especially for all you ladies over 40. We will cover a range of exciting topics with many special guests and I really look forward to this season. Bye for now. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 15 part 2 with Dr. Lara Spector and if you haven't listened to part 1 yet go back to last week's episode listen to part 1 first because part 2 is definitely a continuum of part 1 and you're going to want to listen to part 1 first and today Dr. Lara and I are going to discuss more in detail bioidentical hormones the difference between HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, and BHRT, or bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Um, it's going to be a great discussion and definitely go back to last week's first. So today, for my little preamble, I wanted to talk a little bit about how far my podcast has come. Hopefully this isn't too boring for you guys. But in four months, I've gotten approximately... 600 downloads, which I'm pretty proud of actually. Um, and I'm going to say for countries, the majority of the downloads are Canadian. Thank you, my fellow Canadians, for your support. 66% are Canadian, 24% are from the US. I've got some listeners in France, so big shout out to you. I'm, I'm just so happy that my podcast is starting to reach people everywhere, specifically women over 40. Because as you know, I my heart and soul are with all you ladies because I think we all go through some transitions at this age and I'm here to support you and to tell you that balanced living does help with all of the changes that we do go through. And I'm also here to tell you that I'm going to age gracefully along with you. And I'm doing everything I can for myself. And everything that I talk about, I also do. So I'm living the same life that I talk about. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the importance of rating, reviewing, and subscribing. So, as you know, I don't have any sponsors right now. I for my podcast and so everything that I do I do at my own cost and if you enjoy my podcast which I really really hope you do please go ahead and subscribe and rate and review it means a lot because that means I get to be seen and I get to be found in the massive massive podcast world and if you support me and you support what I talk about, and you support everything that I really stand for, it would just mean a lot. And I've had a couple of people go ahead and rate and review and subscribe in the last week because I have been doing a lot of shout outs to this. And I really appreciate it. And I have got some swag that I am going to be able to send out. I'm going to do some draws. And I am also going to do more call outs because I can't even tell you guys how much this means to me. Because what this means 
Remember, when you rate and review, it means I can keep this going because the bottom line is it's it's not free for me to run these and I'm sure you could tell you could tell by my editing skills at the start when I was using free stuff uh, you could tell so I'm trying to improve um, improve what I'm doing really and in order for me to do that I really really need some help from you my listeners to get this podcast to be seen more so with that I'm going to read one of my great reviews from really awesome kid and it starts with finally love that someone is finally talking about things that interest women in my age group and not just 20 somethings thank you really awesome kid I'm going to assume that you're not a kid and that you're not 20 something but anyway I really really appreciate the feedback I would love to hear from you all. So please shoot me an email, sandy at sandyknutrition.ca. If you have some interesting topics for me that you'd like to see covered, if you are someone that wants to be a guest, I'm always open to guests. And I would just really love to hear from you more. And that's basically what I wanted to say about that. Hopefully that's not too, too boring. So I haven't decided actually what I'm going to do in terms of keeping this podcast going. What I might do is take a little break over the summer because today I'm actually going to have my first golf lesson in years. I had to quit um, our golf club for a couple of years while I was f- trying to finish school, which I finished last year and it did take me three years it was supposed to take me two but hey I got it done right and I got it done before I turned 50 I was 49 I graduated from college so now I have a my English degree and I also have my college diploma as a registered holistic nutritionist and this is what has enabled me to push forward in my career for the latter part of my life, which I'm very, very passionate about. So one of the things I am going to try and go back to is golfing. I was never a huge golfer and I'm not really very good, but today I'm having my first lesson in a few years and I'm playing my second round of golf this year. So wish me luck on that. I actually, I actually pulled my angel card this morning. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, you see me do this once in a while. And I just, I love it. I I did it with my girlfriends on on Friday night. We all pulled a card and it really had a lot of relevance. And today the card that I pulled was practice makes perfect. So we'll see. We'll see how well I do. Anyway, I am going to cut on through to the interview with Dr. Lara Spector for part two. For those of you, please go back and listen to part one if you haven't done so already. Thanks, guys. Hi, and welcome back to part two of Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen with Dr. Lara Spector. Welcome, Dr. Lara. Thanks. It's great to chat with 
chat with you again. Yes, I'm happy to have you back. And we decided to split this up just because there's so much to uncover when we're talking about women's sex hormones. And so last time we left off, we were starting to talk about IV therapy, about advocating for yourself, and we were talking about adrenal health. So I guess we can start off this conversation with maybe Dr. Lara, you can get into how adrenals and exercise for a woman in perimenopause kind of affect one another. And what should a woman over 40 and maybe even in her 50s past menopause um, look out for in terms of protecting their adrenal health, but still doing the much necessary exercise? Yeah, of course. So I think the biggest thing for women is to be aware. So listening to your body is is really key. Exercise is excellent for the adrenals in the right amount. So when I say right amount, I always think about F-I-T-T or FIT, so frequency, intensity, timing, and type. So making sure that during your exercise, you're feeling refreshed, you're feeling energized, you're feeling happy, you're not feeling nauseous or lightheaded, and after, you're also feeling those same things. Those are all a sign that exercise is good for your adrenals. If you're experiencing those symptoms with whatever type of exercise you're doing, then that means that it's too much for your adrenals. It means that the amount of cortisol that you're producing is either too much or not enough to cope with the exercise that you're doing. So exercise basically is an inflammatory process. And like we spoke about last time, cortisol is your anti-inflammatory hormone. So every time you exercise, you're calling on cortisol. So that's why I said before, it's important to figure out if you're high or low cortisol, because if you're really low cortisol, exercise can be too much. And also, if you're high cortisol, exercise can be too much from a di- in a different way in terms of causing anxiety, in terms of um, causing you to crash later on. Mm-hmm. So I think that the important piece of exercise is everyone's different. And really, the best thing you can do for your adrenals, especially in perimenopause when your hormone levels are shifting, is to listen to your body and just take it easy uh, when your body's telling you that it's too much. Okay, I love that. What was that acronym again? Uh, So the F-I-T-T. Okay, F-I-T-T. Yeah. So just paying attention... You know, if, if it does feel like you're getting any of those symptoms I said before, like nausea during or after, more fatigued, you know, lightheaded, uh, then either reduce the frequency, reduce the intensity, um, change the type that you're doing, or the timing. Okay, I love that. That is an amazing way to actually know because I know women who kill themselves in spin class and then they're like, on the couch for the rest of the afternoon. So that would be an example of too much, correct? Exactly, exactly. And I I think, you know, we put these, you know, pressures on ourselves to either be, you know, competitive or, you know, 
or push it, but really it's, we want to work with our body, not against our body. Okay. I love it. That is awesome because I personally have had adrenal issues, which I talked about before, but I have had times where I'm literally on the couch for the rest of the afternoon and then I'm like, okay, I think it's time for me to scale it back a little bit (laughs) or Mm -hmm. do more to support my adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the best thing you can do. And, you know, there's often a fear among women that, oh, if I don't exercise or push myself to a certain degree, I'll gain weight or, you know, I won't sleep as well at night or, you know, whatever the reason is, you know, for you to work out, um, you know, and, and I think that instead of thinking that way, you know, it, it's more important to just, yeah, work with and be in tune because the more imbalance you are in your body, the easier it'll be to lose weight, the easier it'll be to sleep, to right. feel good overall. Right, because too much cortisol can also give you that kind of that barrel belly look correct am I right with that yeah so any dysregulation of cortisol whether it's too high which we commonly think or too low or just dysregulated throughout the day where it's for example you know too low when it should be high first thing in the morning or too high when it should be low when you're trying to go to bed so any type of cortisol issue can create that abdominal uh, weight gain okay Good to know. Wonderful. All right. So we've talked about quite a bit, unpacked a lot in the first episode. Now we've kind of explained the adrenals. So let's get to, you know, we talk in holistic health a lot about the root causes. And so let's get into the importance of gut and liver health for balancing the hormones. Yeah, of course. So when we think about Estrogen is the one that we think about the most when we talk about gut and liver health because that's the hormone that tends to increase or, you know, we call it estrogen dominant Mm -hmm. in the perimenopausal years. And the gut and liver are so important because they're responsible for excreting estrogen from our body. So if we're not able to detoxify or excrete estrogen, it's going to keep recirculating in our body. So the gut is really important because we have specific bacteria in our gut and all of us have different bacteria that are responsible for conjugating estrogens, which means excreting or detoxifying estrogens. Um, Also, the gut bacteria are important uh, for determining our bowel movement, so how often we're going to the bathroom. So if we don't have a good flora that allows for daily bowel movement, uh, we can keep recirculating that estrogen. So right. that's why the gut bacteria is so important. So, you know, working with a practitioner or working on improving your gut health, um, sometimes a good probiotic is all you need. Often it takes a little bit more than that. Um, the liver is extremely important for detoxifying estrogen. There's two pathways in the liver, phase one and phase two, um, and you need specific nutrients both phase one and phase two to happen um, and specific herbs can help that as well and obviously reducing things that sort of affect the liver so alcohol caffeine sugar you know all our all our vices um, 
so reducing our toxic load overall. But basically the point of the liver is to take estrogen in its fat-soluble form and turn it into a water-soluble form so that it can be excreted either through uh, bowel movement or urine or our sweat. Okay, so um, what can we do as women, if you know, so some of the signs of estrogen dominance, we kind of talked about that, like, you know, painful breasts, um, bad PMS, things like that. So, you know, even without the testing, and we'll get into testing after, but even without it, we kind of know what, like, if you, if you have knowledge of estrogen dominance, you know, if you've got it. So what can you do yourself to help with that? with the liver and the gut. I know you talked about doing taking a probiotic, seeing if that helps you go to the bathroom every day because that's really, really important. But what about the liver? Yeah, of course. Um, so if we picture sort of that bag of can idea that we talked about with the adrenal, so what are all the things that we're adding in to help our liver work properly? So those are things like vitamin C and B vitamins that are required for phase one, phase two, uh, liver detoxification, herbs like uh, dandelion, milk thistle, artichoke, uh, taking uh, NAC, N-acetylcysteine mm-hmm. can be helpful as well. Eating a lot of sulfur-rich foods, so things like onions and eggs, um, eating bitter uh, greens, having citrus fruits, like mostly lemons and limes. Uh, These are great for the liver as well. So those are sort of the things you're adding into your liver bank account to help it work better. And then also working on things or removing things, um, you know, from your everyday life that might be toxic for the liver. So um, from a Chinese medicine perspective, stress is is one of the things that's toxic for the liver. Yeah. So the other things are, you know, smoking is is huge in terms of that. Alcohol, sugar, coffee, those are the big ones uh, that can be hard on the liver. Processed foods as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, those are some of the things I recommend. I also love castor oil packs. I'm not sure, Sandy, if you've used them before. I have, yeah, I have. Awesome, yeah. So I recommend to women, especially in the perimenopausal years, to basically take about one to two tablespoons of castor oil and don't drink it, please. <laughs> It'll make you poop too much. <laughs> I know, exactly. might help your options, but no, it wouldn't be a pleasant experience. No, no, no. Um, so you want to take about two tablespoons and apply it to basically where your liver is, so just under your right breast. Um, so apply it generously to that area sort of like a triangle that's forming under there and with a thin towel and a heat pack on top that's a simple way to do it but you can always look up how to actually do a castor oil pack Hmm. yeah I've done that myself um and yeah when you have the whole pack it can get a little messy so I like the way that you said it very very simply just apply it on your skin apply just a nice towel and just <laughs> the, the whole exactly. pack thing can get messy. I, know. I sometimes, you know, light a couple candles, listen to Sarah McLaughlin uh. <laughs> right before bed. It's really 
Yeah, that's actually a very great relaxing way to detoxify. And I, I couldn't agree with you more about toxic load. I actually talk about that all the time. And, you know, it's not just like I'm all about balance. So I will never say that I don't drink. I don't drink all the time. I drink on occasion. I drink in a social situation more often than not, but not all the time. And so, and then, you know, I think, you know, what happens is things become habitual. And I'm not judging anybody who drinks their one glass of wine every day. I'm just saying, you know, it's all about what's going in and what's coming out, right? Exactly. And I agree. You keep, there's no point in judging yourself. If you're going to have a glass of wine, enjoy that glass of wine. Yeah. But being mindful of, you know, the quantity of wine you're drinking in a week. And if you're having a glass of wine to escape from how you're feeling, you know, it's about choosing your vices wisely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it, hey, it's all about the balance, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. You know, it's, it, that's so important. It's a bank account. If you're, if you're adding in lots and occasionally you make a withdrawal, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's move on to testing because I, I talk about this a lot too. So maybe start with what types of testing are available and then what are the pros and cons of each type and where can somebody get tested and how? For sure. So um, a lot of women have, you know, gotten blood work or have asked their doctors for blood work um, to look at their hormones. And while I do think blood work is helpful for looking at the thyroid gland, mm-hmm. for example, yeah, I don't find it as helpful for looking at hormones like estrogen and progesterone. The reason being is that blood work is your levels of hormones in your blood are only looking at a snapshot in time, mm-hmm. and they're not telling you your overall level in the body. So blood work tends to underestimate the amount of hormones in the body. So when you're, for example, recommending a bioidentical hormone, some practitioners can overdose on the bioidentical hormone just using blood work alone. So that's why I don't recommend blood work. Um, At the Institute of Hormonal Health and and in my own practice, I recommend something called the Dutch test, Mm -hmm. a urine hormone test. Mm -hmm. And I just did mine, by the way, Dr. Lara. Pardon? (laughs) I said, I just did mine, by the way. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, I've I've done one too on myself, but it's so interesting and revealing. Um, But basically, a Dutch test uh, is a urine hormone test. And it is able to pick up on all of your hormones, cortisol, cortisone, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, melatonin. And then also you have the benefit of looking at some organic acids, which that's a separate topic. But also the benefit, you get to look at all those hormones and the metabolite of those hormones. So estrogen, for example, comes in three forms. So you're able to look at all three forms and how all those three forms break down. So you're able to see if you're converting your estradiol, your most estrogenic or strong estrogen, into, for example, the 16 pathway or the four pathway or the two pathway. And each one um, has different effects 
Um, some are more protective than others. So you just get a lot more information and you just get much more accurate um, levels of the hormones. So I recommend doing that to see where your levels are at. It is more expensive, of course, but um, I think worth it so that you get a much bigger picture of what's going on. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more because also going back to what you were saying about the metabolites and the pathways. So for me, as an example, I do it usually twice a year. I do the Dutch test and I have a tendency to go to the pathway that they say is the most, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but I guess it is that pathway where it can lead to those estrogenic type female cancers so i'm always on top of it right yeah so so it's, it's nice to, to know that right yeah and, you know you can take things to help shift that a little bit right and avoid sources in the environment of estrogen that might push it down that pathway more so uh and maybe like we talked about before consuming more phytoestrogen things that Will, will help. So it does give you a lot of great info. Yes, love that. Now, what about saliva? Because that was the one that was done kind of before the Dutch test came along. Saliva was the gold standard before that. So can people still, like, because I know it's a little bit cheaper, can women still do saliva? Yeah, they can do saliva. I, I don't find it that much cheaper. It's probably like $100 or so cheaper unless there's a one that you know of so, okay. that is, but um, yes, saliva is a great option as well. Um, it's not a great option if you're already taking bioidenticals though. Okay. Um, it doesn't work as well um, in terms of measuring the amount of uh, how much those bioidenticals are affecting your overall hormone levels. And it doesn't look at methylation, does it? No, yeah, that's the thing. Um, so, and I think it's the... Um, the metabolites, it doesn't look as, uh, as many as well. Okay, can you, maybe, uh, Dr. Lara, can you just briefly tell our listeners what is methylation and why is it so important in this whole hormonal picture? Yeah, of course. So methylation is basically our body's ability to put a red flag on something for it to be excreted by the liver and out of the body. So, for example, with estrogen... Um, there is a process through an enzyme called COMP-P that takes a form of estrogen and methylates it so that it can be excreted um, from our system. Okay. And basically, it has something to do with our DNA expression. Am I right? Or no? Yeah. So, um, you know, having a genetic test to figure out how um, you methylate and if you have a specific gene called the MTHFR um, to see whether you methylate properly or not. Right. Uh, That's, again, another whole discussion, but I'm like a huge believer in in genetic testing um, just because I feel like you get a bigger picture and your ability to say, okay, well, you know, this might work for some, but, you know, not for everybody. Exactly. And, you know, it means that you have to take certain supports like folate, for example, um, and other B vitamins to help you methylate better. But you can't take other things like folic acid and 
yeah, right. That's a separate topic. <laughs> yeah, separate topic, but you know what? I'm one of those, so I know a lot about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, of course. So there you go. Um, okay, that's great. That's a great explanation. Um, now, now that we've covered testing, we've kind of covered everything else. Let's get into bioidentical hormones because this is a topic that many women are interested in. I personally started taking bioidentical progesterone. It would have been in December, and it's helped me tremendously with my sleep and just kind of helps overall with my general mindset because I did test and I also believe in testing versus guessing Um, and so I did test and my progesterone was very low so maybe talk to us first what's the difference between bioidentical hormones and regular HRT or hormone replacement therapy for sure uh, HRT and conventional hormone therapy, they're using synthetic forms of hormones. Um, so you may have heard of progestins, uh, for example, in an IUD, you'd be getting progestins, the Mirena IUD, yeah. um, and um, other ones, uh, birth control pill is an example, right, of, of getting those synthetic hormones. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these synthetic hormones actually come from a pregnant mare's urine, so mm-hmm. premarin is one of those. Yeah. Um, so, so you're getting it from um, a different mammal, um, and it's being synthesized. So, the disadvantage with HRT is that often you're getting higher dosages, and you're also not getting hormones that match exactly what your body is producing on its own. So, bioidentical are hormones are basically hormones that are matching what your body would be producing on their own and so you're able to match that and also using it from a more natural source so often bioidentical hormones are yam based so uh, coming from a plant um which is which is great and then also you're able to get bioidenticals compounded um more readily, often they're in cream form, so you can adjust the dose um, to match exactly what that person needs, and I love what you said about testing, not guessing, because then you can really get to the, you know, the nitty-gritty of, you know, the lowest dose possible that that person needs based on their testing. Well, yeah, because I, you know, I'm personally a believer in bioidenticals. I believe that it can really help a lot of women feel normal when you're going through some changes in your life. So, but I think it's important to do it right with your naturopath doctor. And, you know, most conventionally trained doctors do not prescribe bioidenticals. Am I right? Uh, Actually, uh, they think that they're not prescribing bioidenticals, but actually working with Dr. Prowse, you know, she's, seen a lot of the prescriptions um, that patients are on, and they assume that they're taking conventional hormone replacement, but they're actually taking bioidentical. So Really? How? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, like Estradot, for example, is an estrogen patch that a lot of women decide to take, and that's just straight estradiol. So it's it's bioidentical. It's what the body would produce on its own. 
Oh, really so, interesting. Yeah, there are definitely women that are on conventional hormone therapy, but a lot of uh, doctors, conventional doctors, don't even realize that they are prescribing bioidentical hormone therapy. So you can easily look it up online and you know see what you're taking and if it is bioidentical already. Okay, yeah. See, that's what I, I, I would love to explain because... How, how does a woman know? Because fact is, let's face facts, sometimes you don't have it in your budget to go and pay for out-of-pocket hormones. I mean, is that covered under, like, I don't even know, under OHIP? Yeah, well, under your insurance plan, usually. Okay, so... so- external insurance like it's like um if you have extra coverage through work is that what you mean exactly and um even if you aren't covered the conventional replacements like the ones you get from your doctor even if they are still bioidentical um they can be a little bit cheaper for example with progesterone there's something called prometrium uh, that you can get. It only comes in 100 milligram dosages, so you can't be as choosy with the dose. That's a disadvantage, but it is cheaper to get whether you have a plan or you don't. Okay, okay, that's good to know. And it is a bioidentical. Exactly. Okay, um, so there's different forms as well, right? Like I personally, I take a bioidentical compounded progesterone cream. So What's the difference between a cream and a pill? And like, I don't even, I'm not even sure. Yeah, what is that? For sure. Uh, so with progesterone, um, you can get it in a cream and it works really well in terms of, you know, its functions and in terms of symptom management, you know, protecting against high estrogen, protecting the endometrium, you know, all the benefits of taking progesterone. The only uh, benefit of taking progesterone orally in a pill is that it's able to cross the blood-brain barrier. So especially if you have issues with sleep, some women find that taking um, oral progesterone can have a greater effect than the cream. Okay, good to know. That's really good to know. Mm-hmm. And, and with the pill, because with the creams, progesterone, it's days, uh, it's to the latter part of your cycle, so days 14 to 28. Um, And it can get confusing, too, because if your cycle is changing and you don't necessarily ovulate every month, like, the cream can get confusing. Are the pills taken the same way, days 14 to 28, or is it every day? Uh, no, still day 14 to 28. You're trying to, with bioidenticals, you're trying to match what your body would do naturally. Okay, so what if your cycle's all over the place? What do you do then? <laughs> yeah, so, so that's when you have to, that's when we have to keep up with you a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So, um, say, for example, you take your, you get your period day one, that's considered day one. You take your progesterone day 14 to 28, and you still don't have a period. So what you do is you wait until you get a period, and let's say then you make that day one, and then you count 14 days from okay. there. Okay. That's one situ- example. There's obviously very many, there's a lot of different examples of that, um, of how the cycle can change. Another option is if women, for example, haven't had their period in a few months, they can take progesterone based on the calendar month. So just taking it from, let's say, the 14th of every month to the 28th of every month. Or you can cycle with the moon. Right? Exactly. <laughs> that, that's another way of doing it. Definitely. 
Yeah, because I, I, I do, I did do a lot of seed cycling before myself. Um, and I recommend that if you're, you know, still not at the stage that I was at where, you know, I was at a point where I needed to do a little bit more. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think do as much as you can um, to, to support yourself. Yeah. Um, now, what about estrogen? What forms does that come in? Is it always a patch or how does that work? Uh, actually, no, patch is probably one of the less common ones. So you have uh, the cream, that's the most common one. And it, it actually is the safest form of estrogen okay. to take, um, a cream form. Um, the reason being is that when you take estrogen orally, it can trigger the clotting cascade in the liver. And that can have, uh, you know, the, the side effects or the consequences that came out from that, you know, nurse's health study, the women's health study oh. back in 2002, where, you know, I'm not sure if you read that, but the that hormone can be linked to, you know, heart disease and, yes. and all these yes. things, but it's because of the oral form of estrogen um, that was triggering that clotting cascade in the liver. So definitely a cream is a better option. Okay. Um, there's also a patch option as well, which um, allows you to get a more sort of sustained release. Okay. Um, and then also ensuring that the amount of estriol in the cream is equivalent or a little bit more than the amount of estradiol. So estradiol is the strongest estrogen. Estriol is the protective form of estrogen. So you want to make sure you're getting both. So okay. it can help the symptoms and all that, but also that you're getting more of the protective one. Okay, good to know. That's perfect. Uh, that's a lot of information. Now, one other question I have is with, so let's say myself, I'm 50 years old, I'm still cycling, not, some months I'm regular, sometimes I'm not, um, would, like, is estrogen even safe to take while I'm still menstruating, or should I wait until after I'm in menopause? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it really depends on what you're experiencing, so, if you're experiencing more hot flashes, night sweats that were keeping you up at night, um, you know, you were, those symptoms were really impactful, then it might be an idea, obviously based on your testing, if your estrogen levels are low, to add a little bit of estrogen. Typically, it's done day 1 to 25 of your cycle. Okay. Oh, that's what I was going to ask, too. Is estrogen following a different... Uh, pattern when to take it like his progesterone is 14 to 28 so is estrogen at the start yes so estrogen um is the hormone that increases in the first half of your cycle that's the hormone that helps you know that's released with the follicles and everything from the ovaries Mm -hmm. to get ready for ovulation so uh estrogen you want to take day one to 25 which um helps mimic your body's own estrogen pattern okay okay good to know all right. Um, but every woman's different, right? And I think um, for the majority of women, they don't typically start estrogen until after their periods are finished. It's just only if they're experiencing the loads of that estrogen roller coaster in perimenopause, but like with those hot flashes and night sweats, which might make them want to start a little bit of estrogen before menopause. Okay. So here's one other question. And, you know, you know, I guess it's a it's on that topic, but it's a little bit off. Is it true that 
women that, okay, because you see some women who have hot flashes and some women just don't and they go mm-hmm. through and then, you know, you can look at their estrogen, you can look at their progesterone and you're kind of like, okay, well, some do and some don't. And it doesn't always correlate with testing. Is it true that it may possibly be due to just more inflammation in the body that's causing those hot flashes? Yes, definitely, and cortisol. So cortisol. Uh-huh, often, yes. Yeah, so a lot of women think it's their estrogen levels that are causing their hot flashes or their low estrogen, but more often it's the cortisol. So we talk about if, if it's more of a cortisol hot flash because of inflammation, let's say, because remember cortisol is released whenever there's inflammation, Yeah. Uh, you'll typically get it after any sort of inflammatory attack we can call it so say you eat a food that causes inflammation you might cause get a hot flash after um or with caffeine or spicy foods or just hot foods overall um or hot drinks uh, as well as if it's a cortisol related hot flash it might wake you up between 2 and 5 a.m it might wake you up first thing in the morning as soon as you get up you wake up with a hot flash um any stress can trigger a hot flash. So all of those tend to be more cortisol hot flashes versus the low estrogen. Ah, okay. Okay. And this is why I'd say we both agree that, you know, you should test with your naturopath doctor before you're going around guessing, right? Yes, exactly. And and just so you know, you know, the best way to approach it, if it's working more on your adrenals, which I can say for the majority of women, that's the answer. Yeah. Um, you know, before you consider bioidentical. Yes. Yeah, I I definitely agree because um, I personally, I'm constantly working on my liver health and my gut health and all of that. And yet, you know, sometimes um, you just got to go to the bioidenticals because I've yeah. kind of done it all. Like I've done the chase tree. I've done the herbals that we talked about in the last episode. So you know, and, and then you go into the whole genetics piece and then there's some things that you just, it's part of your genetic makeup. So no matter what you do, you might need to do a little bit more. Exactly. I think, um, you know, if you cross all those things off or, you know, at least you're working on those things in conjunction with being on the bioidenticals, you'll feel like the bioidenticals have a greater impact on you. Yes. So... I think we've definitely done, I think we've done a pretty good job of unpacking everything. Thank you so much, Dr. Lara. Oh, of course. It's been my pleasure. I, I really love hormones and, and talking about them. Um, so this, this has been really great. Thank yes. You. Thank you. And listeners, if you have any questions or anything, please reach out. Dr. Lara's contact information in the Institute for Hormonal Health will be in the show notes, and you can always send me an email as well. Thank you, Dr. Lara. Of course. Have a great day. You as well. Bye. Bye. Join me next week where I cover off more exciting topics. I hope to continue to engage you and excite you and show you that living in your 40s, 50s, and beyond can be exciting, balanced, and healthful. Bye for now.